out there to everyone listening. Thanks for tuning in to episode six of the Urban Gardening Food and Wellbeing podcast on Rick Radio. Uh, I'm Tobias Gunning. First up, uh, I'll be chatting with Stefan Verstappen about the importance of being part of, an, of a community and how to develop and work together within a community context. After that, I'll be talking with St. Patrick's Irene Montgomery about her passion and to get her perspective on the benefits of getting out on the River Liffey and doing a bit of rowing uh, and looking at that as from the perspective of, you know, a hobby, but it's also very competitive. The weather has really perked up this week, so to stay on top of the water and the weeding and enjoy the fruits of the previous few months' labour, spend a bit of time out there in the garden. I've, I've certainly been enjoying some of the strawberries, uh, tomatoes, purple kale, courgettes and various types of salad leaves all growing out in the back of the allotments. So, uh, hello out there to all you uh, urban gardeners. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Um, and I've got uh, Stefan Verstappen here with me, who's a legend in the field. Uh, aka the renaissance man and he's very kindly agreed to like share a bit of his uh, experiential knowledge and experience life experiences with us and specifically he's going to kind of talk I, i'm hoping Stefan, anyway that you're going to kind of enlighten us a little bit about your definition of a kind of developing a sustainable community in these uh, harsh times we find ourselves in so if you'd like to kind of t- I'll just hand it over to you Stefan, and let you uh, kick it off if you want to kind of introduce yourself as much or as little as possible, or just, you know, get straight into it, whatever, whatever uh, tickles your fancy. So thanks very much for agreeing to chat with us. Oh, it's my pleasure, Tobias. Thank you for having me on. So I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail about my background, because you can look it up, go to my website, everything is there, strategies.com and uh, my bios and everything, my background. And we don't have a lot of time, so I want to cut to the chase as quickly as possible. You see, I am and have been for 50 years a survivalist. Mm-hmm. I, I study ways on, on how to survive natural disasters and emergencies. But now we yeah. are faced with the collapse of Western civilization. I mm-hmm. mean, everywhere it's the same. Canada, the United States, Ireland, England, Spain, France, Germany. Everybody is facing right now a serious threat of collapse. And so I spotted this coming, oh, about 20 years ago. I began writing about, you know, survivalism and how to prepare for the eventual destruction of Western civilization, which is a part of a natural cycle, a historical cycle. You know, kingdoms come and kingdoms go. They follow a, a kind of a prescribed stage you know there's usually about four stages but we're in the fourth stage now which is called the stage of collapse or the stage of chaos that's where we're going to and what i did then was i studied history i wanted to know what happened in the past when civilizations collapsed what happened after the the fall of the roman empire what happened after the fall of the ming dynasty and so i took the lessons from history And I realized that the way to survive what's coming and the way to survive everything that's coming is to form small, autonomous communities, Mm -hmm. groups of people that look after each other. Now, we're facing a whole lot of challenges. First of all, we're looking at a worldwide famine. And so one of the first things I'm recommending for people is to form food co-ops and grow co-ops, right? 
work yeah. together, uh, find some space. You know, if there's a farmer just outside of town, it can, you know, lend you a, an eighth of an acre to plant a big garden. Then you and 10 people get together. You work that garden. You, 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 you till the soil, you plant the seeds, you weed it, you, you water it, and then you reap the, uh, the, the crops and the harvest from that. Kind of bit like the, the, the allotments that we have next door in the community center. Allotments is a, an excellent way to start growing your own garden and make sure that the community is involved with this because the more people are a part of it, the better it is. But yeah. it, we can expand that to a number of different things. First of all, we are facing, as I'm sure you are there in Ireland, a serious inflation. The oh, cost of goods and rent and gas, it's going through the roof. Those of us who have just been hanging on, what I'm talking about is, you know, the blue collar working class people that put in a lot of time and effort to make some money at the end of the month, above they got left over 10 bucks, 50 bucks, um, or in your case, I guess it's euros. And mm -hmm. so how do you make, how do you survive under that kind of circumstance? Well, again, community is the key. You see, what I found out was long before the government took over unemployment insurance and healthcare insurance, and uh, welfare long before the government took that over what did our great great grandparents do what was their recourse if they lost their job who was going to lend them money to start a new business like so but i look back and what happened is or what i found out is that people our ancestors they formed again small autonomous communities and with a small autonomous community there are a number of ways that you can you know stretch your dollar for example a buying group a buying group just means that you know you and 10 20 people get together if you want to go grocery shopping you want to go get some groceries you have a better chance of bargaining if you have 20 people all grocery shopping at the same time buying uh, in bulk Buying in bulk, exactly. So you buy in bulk. And by buying in bulk, you save yourself, what, 15, 20, 25, 30%. Yeah. So instead of, you know, Tobias goes to the grocery store, I go to the grocery store, the neighbor goes to the grocery store, we all pay full price for everything we purchase and we bring it back. No, instead what we do, and again, this is what happened in the past, we go, we pool our money and I hand you my grocery list and I hand you some money and then you take the van and, and you go and you buy all the groceries and you bring it back. But it's bulk. And sometimes and, and, and this is another thing you can do is you can uh, um, form a nonprofit organization or you can form a co-op association. Now you buy it at wholesale. Yeah. So now you're saving 50 percent of the money. Another thing is. So that's one example, food co-ops, grow co-ops. We talked about buying groups like there's numerous examples. If you have to buy heating oil for your for your council house and, you know, there's 10 people on 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 your street that all need to buy heating oil. You form a buying group and you buy that heating oil in bulk. And again, you make, you know, 20, 25 percent discount. Also, also, Stephen, uh, I'm just thinking many hands make light work. I recently bought a, a pressure canner from America, uh, you know, for canning food. And mm -hmm. I was kind of like I was thinking of this idea of having a canning day where everyone would bring their food, you know, and it'd spend the whole day canning stuff and pressure, pressure cooking it. Absolutely. We have the same thing here where, where I am. I'm in a, 
a rural area in uh, in in Ontario. I'm in Oxford. <laughs> nice. For some reason, every everything in this area is named after England. We got London, we got Stratford, we got Oxford, <laughs> <laughs> and the river next to me is called yeah. the Thames. But anyway, oh my God, well. Yeah. So, but you know, we, we we've got people in the community, and we work together. You have to form small communities. And there's numerous different ways you can do this. Uh, you can be an unincorporated community, which is what we've got right now with, with the people that I'm working with here. And where I am is a rural area. I'm in a small town. I'm surrounded by farms. I'm, there's a lot of Amish and uh, Mennonites here. Oh. Yeah, so it, it, it's very rural. But you know what? Rural country people know how to work together. So we don't need any kind of legal contracts or anything like that. We meet every Thursday night. We discuss what we're going to do. Mo you know, the, the, the spring and summer has been taken up with working on the gardens. We have three different gardens. We have a greenhouse that's a, that they're working on. Uh, so we work, we work together and uh, everybody just contributes their time and energy. Now we're expanding that to include homeschooling. We've got a homeschooling group because you've got to get your kids out of the state education yeah. system. It's yeah. a disaster. I don't even know if it's legal there in Ireland to homeschool, yeah. but here it's still legal. But so, yeah. you know, people don't want to send their kids to the school. So we have our own homeschooling group. We also have, uh, we're setting up, and tonight I'm going to be discussing it at our meeting, is our own communications team. We've right. got you know, 10, 15 people. They all have ham radios. Yeah, and because we all live within about 20 kilometers. That's about the maximum range of the ham radio. So now we have overlapping frequencies. So now we can communicate to other members in the community through ham radio. I used to have I used to have the CB. I used to have a CB radio when I was younger, you know, and it was yeah. a great way. It was a great way of communicating, you know, and that's what I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about, get you to kind of expand a little bit more about is, is the communication within those communities and the kind of the group dynamics, you know, about like how people would naturally gravitate towards specific roles. And so, you know, some people would be good at, at some things and other people would be good at other things. And how do you kind of organize that all out? How does everybody kind of get, to the point where the, the group is working kind of it's formed and it's kind of performing and it's working well as a kind of as one entity well listen working in a, in, in a group is always difficult work okay yeah, yeah. Um, you need to follow the uh, what is it Robert's rules of conduct when conducting meetings you know you got to be polite yeah. and you got to get along there's no yelling there's no calling people names uh, anybody who yells leave okay because we can't we can't negotiate. We can't solve problems if people are yelling and bickering and things like that. So this yeah. is always a difficult thing. I've laid all this out in my upcoming book, The Complete Guide to Forming Communities. Cool. And if you go to my website, formingcommunities.com, I have about nine PDFs, which are excerpts mm -hmm. from my, uh, my book that you can download now and start to read about. I'm also going to upload, because when you said, how do we know where we all fit in? The other thing I've done for the book is I created a self-assessment test, a skills assessment test. Oh, so you can good. fill out the test and tell us what you're good at, right? Each test, yeah. there's five of them. Each test has 25 questions. And you tell us, uh, how good are you at medicine? How much do you know about uh, first aid? How much do you know about gardening? How much do you know about fixing a small engine? How much do you know about solar panels? And so you can do a self-assessment, and that way everybody 
can see where they might fit in well within the community. So, you know, we got people that are old, we got people that are disabled. <coughs> and so you think, well, you know, what good are they in our community? Well, listen, not everybody has to be young and fit. There's a lot of things we need in the community that could be adequately uh, handled by people that are old and that are disabled. We need yeah. counselors. We need people that to phone in and check in on each other and see how people are doing. We need people that know how to cook. We need people that know how to can. And like you said, but with the canning, yeah, we have one of the members is a, is a Mennonite and she's got a professional kitchen. So once we bring in the harvest from these three gardens, we're going to can them all. Not all of it, but we're going to can them. And so in this way, everybody has different skills. I don't know too much about scan, uh, um, canning, but, um, you know, other people in the community do know. So everybody pools their knowledge, their talents, and some time. It's an hour, two hours a week. That's it. That's all we ask. And work together. And by working together, we can supply for the community and our people and our children all the things that won't be here in five years. Plus, the, the thing I really like about that, Stephen, is that you're teaching the younger generation through generosity. You're teaching them, you're handing that intergenerational knowledge down so the next generation coming up is already like really well equipped to deal with whatever's coming, you know, and they're, they're self-sufficient and self-reliant. It's amazing. Yeah, and, you know, many of the members have children and we get together for picnics and that. Another important part of being part of a community is to have Social events, you know, uh, a campfire, a hot dog roast, play, bring out your guitars and your violins and, and uh, you know, let's sing around the fire and tell stories and have picnics and bring the kids to this and get them all involved. The kids play with each other. The parents talk, you know, and this is what forms a community. This is what forms bonds within the community. And this is what will keep you tight and cohesive. And by doing so, you will survive whatever is coming. Big time, big time. Because like, you know, like you, you have to, it's almost a question of uh, try to expect the unexpected. And, you know, it's that old adage of you fail to plan, plan to fail. So it's kind of trying to stay, you know, one step ahead the whole time, you know. And, and I know you don't like that that uh, terminology, like the prepper, but it kind of sums up like the, the state of mind that we have to constant, constantly be in is kind of getting things ready and kind of always kind of planning for what's coming next. Sure. That, I mean, that's stoicism. What you do is you, you plan for the worst. And this is what I always do with people when I, when I consult with them on how to get ready for, for, for prepping and, and, and whatever. You plan for the worst and you figure out, what am I going to do if there's no food? What am I going to do if I can't get the water? What, if I'm gonna, what am I going to do if the hospitals aren't open? And then you make plans. What's your alternative? What else can you do? Well, we, we have people in the community that are uh, naturopaths and homeopaths and Chinese medicine doctors and herbalists. So if I can't get to a hospital, I go to my community. Yeah. They have the herbs that they grow themselves, too, by the way. Brilliant. So they grow their own medicinal herbs. They make their own tinctures and, and uh, uh, medicines. And so I can go to them if I need help with medicine. So, again... The idea is that we work together, we pool our resources, and then we provide for our, all our needs together. And then we don't need the government, and we don't care what happens to the rest could, of the world. 
could I ask you just, we're just kind of, we're just about running out of time, Stephen. We've got about three minutes left. And I just wanted you to kind of, if you could say a little bit about kind of developing that kind of, um, you know, developing a bartering system, because, you know, I guess the biggest thing about being self-sufficient is having, you know, a means, uh, some sort of means of currency that you can trade or barter, you know, to kind of get the goods and stuff that you're going to need going forward. Okay. Well, that's a big topic to cover in two minutes, but for, One of the communities I'm working with in Arizona, they are actually issuing their own money. Wow. They print it up. So the, 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 a dollar is worth one man hour because ultimately the only value in this world is human labor. Yeah. We are the ones that build and create and grow and, and do things. Nothing else has value other than people working. So mm-hmm. your first barter item is your personal time. I will come and spend two hours in the garden. I will come and I will go to the meeting every Thursday or once a week, have a meeting. I will offer my, my advice on, on medicine and, and radios and you work together, you donate your time. So the first barter item, and we can go on to gold and food and bullets and all that kind of thing. But the first barter item is your time. Yeah. Time is money. Isn't that the old adage? Time is money. Time is valuable. It's the biggest yeah. resource. It is. And, and it's a shame because of the central banking systems. We spend our time working and the banks give us paper. <laughs> worthless, worthless, essentially, really. You worthless, know? Yeah. worthless. Yeah, but our labor is worth a lot. Yeah. So that's the first thing. As a community, you donate your labor, you donate your time. Yeah, and I mean that's equates into pure energy, doesn't it? You know, it's it's like your energy, it's your essence, it's 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 like you know you're putting it, you're, you know, it's like all that stuff you're talking about. It's also kind of like it's practical and it's objective, but there's also a kind of there's an element of kind of love and compassion there. You know, that's uh, you're you're kind of doing something. You know, you're doing something positive. You're you're kind of you're in sync. You know, you're doing, you're, you're walking with the natural kind of rhythms, you know, you're doing what you're meant to do. You're being creative. You're kind of, you're looking after others and you're kind of inputting into like a bigger community. You're, you're kind of giving back or you're, you know, you're, you're serving self to serving others in many ways. Yeah. For me personally, there's no greater satisfaction than me working with people and making their lives better. It, it just, you know, working with the parents, working with the children, working with the community, you put in your effort, you and you see that people are better off now. They're happier. They're, they're more comfortable. They're more relaxed. They're less fearful. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the feeling of satisfaction that gives you is pure joy. It really is, Tobias. 100%, Stephen. And that's a really, that's a really kind of lovely uh, point to kind of leave it at. Um, it, it breaks my heart that we have to kind of leave it there. But uh, again, as we were kind of discussing, t- time is of the essence um, and I would just, I just really want to thank you for 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 chatting with us. And I'd like, you know, give you, I want to give you the last word, of course, Stefan, and tell us about your YouTube channel and your website again. Okay, well, my main website is China Strategies One Word dot com. Yeah. But if you, I have another website where I talk mostly uh, exclusively about community, and that is forming communities dot com. And that's my latest project is to form communities, to work with people and to help people. I'm, I'm in touch with people all over the world, England, Ireland, Spain, France, Switzerland. Uh, you know, I do talks for them, try to get people to work together, to form these communities, to help each other out. And listen, when everything goes for a turd, right? 
once it all collapses, we will rise up and build a new civilization. And it will only come from small communities like what you've got going there, Tobias, and what is happening all over the world. All these small communities, they're like seeds, okay? Right mm -hmm. now, we're planting the seeds. And then when the, you know, the, the final catastrophe of, you know, complete social breakdown occurs. Yeah. Then it's those seeds that will grow into a new society, a new society based on mutual aid and mutual respect. And so that's why we have to do this. That's why we have to do this. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. Listen, Stefan, I'm going to end. I'm going to I'm going to press pause on the recording there. Um. So listen, um, thanks very much for giving us your time. You're very welcome, Tobias. Anytime. You're listening thanks. to the Urban Gardening Food and Wellbeing Podcast with Tobias Gunning. Uh, I'm out here in Greystones with Irene Montgomery, who's uh, an integral part of the St. Patrick's Rowing Club. And uh, Irene's uh, agreed to chat with me about the well-beings, uh, the benefits of being out on the water, and, and especially for the kids and during the summer months, uh, and because the, the rowing season, the rowing um, is, is seasonal. It's a seasonal kind of sport, you know, uh, competitive sport. And uh, yeah, so Irene, I just wanted to kind of get your take on like, you know, like the benefits of, of kind of being involved in a rowing club, like for, for I guess for all ages, but mainly like I when I'm going past the East Inc there and I'd see, I'd see the kids going out and stuff like that and they seem to really, really kind of enjoy it. Well, there is an awful lot of benefit for the kids. It keeps them off the street, brings them down yeah. and they have their own little clicks down there and they get on really well together. We've had kids coming in this year. They didn't know each other. And now I'm looking at them on the beach and they're all playing together. And these was were kids that were from completely different communities. We have some from town and we have some from Rings End and we've got some from other parts of Dublin. And they're all sitting down here on the beach playing together. Plus, Rowan is a sport yeah. where if the kids don't like contact sports like rugby and yeah. football, they seem to fall into the rowing a lot better because they're not they don't have to talk to each other if they don't want to. But then they I find for kids who would be very shy yeah. take to the rowing an awful lot more than what the kids if they were playing football in a team as such. And would you see like like you know the way like the when you go out rowing you're in you're you're like one of a crew of four and uh, like the four of you'd be kind of working together in the boat and you'd kind of be you'd be kind of learning to communicate with each other and you'd be kind of working as part of a team. Do you think those are kind of transferable skills that would kind of that can be used in, in other avenues of life? So like I mean in the sense that it's kind of like a, it's it's almost like it's a learning process when you're out in the boat. Yeah, when you're out in the boat it's a completely different sport than what they would be used to. So they're rowing together as a crew and as a team as you say. Yeah. But it's not like a football team, yeah. whereas everyone is together. They are together and they're helping each other in a boat. Mm. And and you know what as well like it's is is really interesting about it is that it seems like uh, when you're when you're kind of watching people rowing like I mean when I go over the East Link Bridge and I'd see people rowing or I'd be down there myself, um, people look like they're really kind of enjoying it and they're they're kind of coming off the water in a, in a better kind of headspace than when maybe that than when they kind of initially started. Yeah. So it's kind of like rowing away all your troubles. It's true. Yeah, they do. They go out and they row, and it's a hard sport. It's tough. They row for 20 minutes to half an hour. 
and like you said, they come in and they're better people after, and they're all laughing and joking yeah. together after the yeah. row. It's class, yeah. and like I noticed, I noticed as well that you're kind of emphasising the point that it that it is a sport. So what's like, what's the kind of like? I know we're out here at the regatta today. Like, would you tell us a little bit about like the the kind of the crews that are in that are doing the regatta today, and how how competitive is it like? Oh, it's very competitive, um, especially mm. for the kids. Yeah, and especially the kids always want to win. Yeah, but we have the the underage. Everyone wants to win. Yeah. The underage, it's oh, we have to beat this crew and we have to beat they beat us last week, so we want to get them this week. Deadly. So, yeah, and, and they look I look. I, I remember the last week out of we were at like seeing them all uh, lining up to get their medals at the end of at the end of the day, and the look of pure pride on their faces when they when they get those medals, it's amazing. Look, medals are very important to the underage groups. They love yeah. going up and collecting their medals. Yeah, and what would you say, like, what would you say, kind of like, like, how would you describe, like, the where we're kind of what we're doing today, being at a regatta? Because I'm just kind of sitting here, and it's like it's so scenic. You're looking out at the sea, and uh, all the all the different clubs are here, and like, you know, how how much of a high point are, are these kind of days out? Um, it's very as you're looking up, you can see all the different coloured gazebos, yeah, and the different clubs, but they're a community together. We've known each other. The clubs have got on really well together for the last years and years, and we would know people from different clubs. Yeah. So we'd have a banter between the different clubs. Yeah, and it's like it—it it is kind of like a, a pro, a kind of pro-social occasion, um, where like you know there, there's a lot. It's competitive, but yeah, it's a real social occasion, and everyone's kind of talking to each other, and everyone's kind of enjoying the day out. Uh, what would you like? What would you say would be like? Like what? Like what would you say would be the benefits of kind of like starting off uh, in rowing as a sport compared to like any other sports? Yeah, there's a lot of benefits mm. in rowing. You would use every part of your body for, it. and it's a good sport for getting yourself fit. Yeah. And um, you would, the benefits would be fitness, mm-hmm. and as well the social aspect of the life, as you say, the clubs all get along together. I know we have that competitiveness when you go out, you're going out to beat a crew. And how, like, you know, like I, after talking to some of the other uh, members in the club, like some of them were saying that they'd started rowing when they were like 10 or 12, like years of age, and now they're in their 20s. So like, would you see a lot of that? Would that be a common thread across like all the clubs? It's very common. Yeah. Yes, very common. We would have kids there starting at eight and they'd stayed in the club. And some, as you say, some of them are 20 now, some of them are 30, some of them are 40. But we've had them since they were only kids. Yeah, it's amazing. And like, you know, like uh, from uh, a local kind of community perspective, like because uh, St. Patrick's would be very much a, com- a community orientated club. Um, like so... Like, would you would you normally like would would it all be members from from the local community or would people come from far and wide to, to join the club? We years ago it used to be just the local community, but now we have people coming from far away. We have Facebook now, and we're up on Facebook, we're up on the website, we're on Twitter, we're on everything. So people are seeing this and just want to take part in their own club, and they email us, and we just get them to come down. Some of them stick it, some of them don't, and some of them travel from far away to come in training every evening as well. And tell us, like you know, like uh, what what like what is the what is the Facebook page or the the Twitter page? St Patrick's Road club cool and tell us as well like you know like um if you are like the season like when 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 does the season start and when does the season end 
because it, it, because it, it would be very much uh, impacted by the weather and that as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, weather permitting, we do try to aim to get out in April. Yeah. Sometimes now, this year, the weather wasn't great in April, so I think we started late April. Okay. But we do aim to start maybe towards the end of March, beginning of April. Yeah. And it would go on. Years ago, it used to finish on the August Bank Holiday Monday. But now we have a race the week after, and then we have the other roads that are on, which would be the long roads, the Hope Road, yeah. the Rockabilly, around Scaries, and a few others. And tell us, they like... go on, and then we have the All-In Row, which would be in December, and that's a charity row. Okay. So we would finish up after that charity row in December. All ah, right. Well, and then it would be like, then it would be kind of very much kind of training, fitness, getting your fitness level through the winter months. Yeah, that's it. Some people don't bother. <laughs> Some people yeah. do. Yeah. It's up to the individual. And tell us, like, what would be, like, can you give us a kind of broad range of, like, say, some of your youngest rowers up to some of your oldest rowers? Like, like, what is it, a, an age-specific sport? Like, what age would you would be the youngest kind of that you could start at? We used to say 10. But yeah. now we sort of go 8 or 9 because their cool. kids are taller now. Yeah. So if they're tall enough to reach the stretcher and they can hold an oar in their hand, we tell them to get out into the boat. That's if really interesting, to. yeah. That's really interesting. Kids are taller. Kids yeah. are definitely taller. Yeah. Now. Used to be ten or eleven. We'd start. Okay. And um, and then what? It, like, you know, what age would that kind of go up to? Like, what would be say maybe one of your oldest rowers? One of the oldest rowers would be nearly sixty. Ah, brilliant! Brilliant! <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. That's really cool. Like you know, and uh, I think like you know something that that struck me was that when you're actually out on the liffy, when you're on the water, and you're kind of looking up at at the you're looking up the sides of the the riverbank, and you're looking out up onto the road, you get a totally different kind of perspective on on the vastness and and you know the whole idea of being in the water and being in a boat. It's it's a completely different kind of experience than than being on dry land. You know exactly people don't realize that it is it's hard and once you get the knack of rowing then it gets easier but it is hard when you get into the boat first yeah. just to hold the oar and get the the rhythm of rowing okay well listen uh i want to kind of we're, we're just under 10 minutes so i just want to like thank you very much irene for for chatting with me for the the rick radio podcast and uh um thanks very much and and uh wish all the best thank you for having me cheers Okay, that's it for, for now. I'm already looking forward to the next episode and I'll have a couple of interesting guests for you to listen to. Thanks to Mick and Dylan for looking after the sound production and talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.